Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Andrew, and I use pronouns like he and him. In this episode, we'll discuss the first Sunday in Lent, which this year falls on February 26th. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So for our deep dive into wilderness survival this week, we have special guest Andrew Walker, who is an environmental educator who has worked in South Dakota, New Hampshire, and his hometown of Baltimore, Maryland. He enjoys long walks along the Patapsco River, summer, tabletop role-playing games, and making educational videos. Welcome, Andrew. We Thanks are so for having me. Yes, we are. So Andrew, as I just mentioned in your bio, you have worked quite a bit both in the wilderness and with creatures from the wilderness. Can you tell us a little bit about the wilderness that you've encountered? Absolutely. And one thing I want to point out about the wilderness is it's such a vast, it's a huge concept. It means different mm-hmm. things for different people and has, you know, throughout time. A lot of times like wilderness, especially in like the, the Western European model that, you know, founded the United States, wilderness was a, a contrast against civilization. You know, civilization mm-hmm. was good and safe and right, and wilderness was like scary and wrong. And thankfully, that notion has changed a lot in the last few hundred years. Because wilderness, it, it is wild, it is untamed, but it has garnered a really like appreciation in our modern society, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes civilization is really scary. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> honestly, I think a lot of people now like the wilderness is where you go to get your you know solitude your tranquility, mm-hmm. your relaxation in yeah. you know, a society where the civilization part is the stressful bit. Yeah. It helps that, you know, at least for the most part, we're less worried about being eaten by wolves than, you know, our ancestors were. I mean, actually in the Wilderness Act was kind of a, a federal nerd thing of me to do, but an area where earth and its community of life are untrammeled by man, where man himself is a visitor who does not remain. But I think is a really cool way of thinking of, you know, the wild places in our world, whether or not they are technically federal wildernesses, which is a technical federal designation now, mm-hmm. where, you know, if you were going to a national park, part of it might be a wilderness, an area that has no permanent human either occupation or like built landscape. So sometimes you'll see on national parks like 70% wilderness or they'll, you know, they, they used to call it 70% like backcountry areas uh, that don't have like certain marked trails. Yeah. You, get your backcountry permit if you're going out on like a hike deep into a park somewhere. Personally, I've had a lot of fortune to travel around the United States. I've gotten out into like the Western like Alpine areas, like Glacier National Park and like Northern Montana. Mm -hmm. I spent quite a bit of time in South Dakota where they have these wonderful prairie ecosystems as well as these kind of very emblematic badlands. You feel like you're in a Western movie (laughs) going through this kind of like parched, dry landscape. And also like the New England mountains where, you know, at the bottom of the mountain, it could be 60 degrees. We get to the top, it is below freezing. Mm-hmm. And the wind chill is, I have a buddy who still lives in New Hampshire. And at the top of Mount Washington, which to be fair, is the tallest mountain in the state and holds the highest wind record in the United States. It was negative 100 real feel at the top of the mountain, which again, wow. not a place that people hang out except for the weather monitors who have a permanent station at the top. Wow. But negative ha- 100 you know, not, usually not I'm good. kind I of mean, picky about calling the Appalachians mountains because I grew up going to Colorado every summer as Emily actually grew up there. Woo-hoo. And my rule has always been that if it doesn't have a permanent snow line, it doesn't count. But, you know, that's a lovely foothill you have there. But negative 100, <laughs> I, I think that might hold over. That's probably okay. So, Yeah, not not yeah. great. Again, wind chill. Wind chill is a heck of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's true. And you don't have to go that far to find wilderness here. And where I live, Baltimore City, Gwen Falls Lincoln Park is one of the largest urban wildernesses in the eastern United States and like a super underused resource right here in our own backyard. Wilderness might be a thing that might be farther away, but nature is never far away. Nature is as soon as you open your front door, you're going to find something. You you might not always appreciate the flies and the mosquitoes, but they are nature and they are right outside. Quite literally, yeah. I have heard about Grim Falls, but I've not yet been. It's on my list to go see, so I'll have to. Yeah, it's quite a place. There's a, a section of it. The gentleman who kind of owned it and eventually donated the land, he was a big Crimean War buff. 
So he built part of it to look like areas of Crimea from like the 1800s. So he could like do little mock battles in his backyard. So like really OG, like, yeah, he's almost LARPing, you know, he's really, I think he might be LARPing. He's crossed the line. (laughs) That's fantastic. I want that kind of a LARP. Crimean war LARPing. If you're going to be rich, at least be eccentric. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So are there any common wilderness myths that you would like to bust for us? For example, I have heard from various people that moss actually does grow on all sides of trees rather than just the north side, but also that like the old rule of follow a river, sometimes that is actually helpful if you get lost. Yeah. I mean, I think about the river, it all depends on where you're trying to go. Well, yeah. But I love rivers are a great landmark because while they do move, they move very, very slowly. <laughs> and you can always as long as you have done the pre-research to know which way the river flows it's a great way to orient yourself you know if you mm-hmm. can't tell your cardinal directions by looking at the sun or you know it's it, maybe it's cloudy or maybe it's nighttime the river is not going to switch directions on you so you always know <laughs> which way you're headed as long as you know what the you know the dominant flow is it's true i mean that gets tricky in colorado because oh, tr- the, continental the continental divide, divide. is in colorado yeah. But as long as you know which side you're on, you're good. I'm great at East Coast navigation. You know, you can let, let the river be your guide there. I also grew up with the, the moss idea that it grows on the north side of trees. And it's one of those things that is technically true. Mm-hmm. In the northern hemisphere, depending on the relative humidity and moistness of the area, because mm-hmm. moss doesn't like direct sunlight. And northern sides of trees are going to get a little bit less sunlight than the southern side. So sure. you're more likely to find it there. However, in a large enough forest, there's going to be quite a lot of shade and it won't matter a whole lot. It's a really cool thing to point out if you also know from something else that that way is north. It's looking really cool in front Mm -hmm. of your friends. But if you're ever navigating, I would not bet on it. (laughs) (laughs) Bet on the river more than the moss. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Less likely to change on you. Mm -hmm. Unless you're on the continental divide. Then you're good luck. One thing I will say, none of the animals want to take a selfie with you. There every year there is a depressing <laughs> amount of statistics on people who get like injured or even killed by trying to take pictures with animals. Don't do that. There's a reason we have laws about how close you can get to a wild animal. They're there for your protection. That being said, not nature's lie. not I have Emily, are you gonna confess to something right now? <laughs> yeah. So when I was in college, we did a service learning January term trip to South Africa and we actually got to stay at a like safari resort for a couple days and so we went driving around and we accidentally came up on a rhinoceros toilet they just like have certain places that they like to go to the bathroom um why not and so we like they didn't notice us we like came up on them and like stopped there and rhinos have really bad eyesight so they one actually had to go to the bathroom at one point and so it came up right to like right behind our like giant jeep thing and i had to zoom out on my camera to get the like i couldn't get in the picture (laughs) too much rhino picture because it was too close but we also had to be like silent because they can charge and so then like at one point like the guide was like okay we're just going to like real quick run away. And so when it was like really close, we just, he started the Jeep and like zoomed off so that it would startle them. And before they figured out what was going on to chase us, we'd be gone. A, a speed selfie. Yeah. But it was definitely like a selfie thing. Like we were in a Jeep. Yeah, it was supposed so to slightly like, involuntary. Some, yeah. Yeah. But you're, yeah, you're in a vehicle. In the wilderness. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we could have this space together to share. <laughs> it's important to be able to confess our yeah, yeah. <laughs> wrongdoings. But that being said, that nature is not out to kill you. I mean, nature is generally indifferent towards your presence as long as you tread lightly and in your own space and place. Mm-hmm. Most of the animals will just let you pass on by. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't want anyone to be like afraid of going out for fear that an animal will see your camera and charge you. As long as you keep your distance, you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. And then two like two like little myths. I've always heard when I was growing up that if you find a baby bird, don't pick it up because the mother will reject it if it smells you on it. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. not true. Birds barely have a sense of smell. Um, 
all those baby birds that could have lived better. I think this is something that was invented by parents because they didn't want their children to pick mm. up baby birds. And bring them home. Yes. <laughs> Which is a pretty, like, agreeable thing, all things considered. But also, like, if you can see the nest and it's safe to put it back, go ahead and put the baby bird back in the nest. That is okay. Don't let the toddler try uh, to climb the tree to put the baby bird back because yes. that's a whole different thing. See, I find that hilarious because yeah. the myth my family taught me about birds was not about don't put the baby bird back, but instead the myth was if you sprinkle some salt on the tail feathers of a bird, it will be frozen and you'll be able to like take a picture with it or talk to it or something. You know a great way to keep a toddler busy for hours? Have them creeping up on birds around in the yard and trying to sprinkle a little salt on the tail feathers. <laughs> I was busy for years. That... <laughs> And, and completely silent because you don't want to scare the birds away. This is a great that parenting strategy. That is brilliant. <laughs> I'm here for it. Keep smart, notes. smart stuff. Any of our dear nerds, if you try this with your children, let us know how it goes. Yeah, I guarantee the toddler's not actually going to be able to get that close. <laughs> and what my last myth to debunk is you do not get warts from touching toads. <gasps> you can warts come from viruses not from toads okay and i don't turn in anybody into like a prince or a princess or a princex by kissing it either the scientific literature is silent on the issue of <laughs> amphibian kisses so we need more research okay but there okay. are some we toads or frogs that, that if you kiss them you'll said, get poisoned right that is to toads are generally speaking poisonous so do not do not eat the toad the, those warts are a defense mechanism a lot of those are toxin glands Oh. <laughs> which will not probably kill you because it turns out killing your predators at, with poison is not a good survival strategy for your species because if you kill the predator, no one learns Nobody a lesson. Knows. But if you just make them ridiculously sick. They're not going to try it again. <laughs> all right. All right. The methodology of, of evolution. <laughs> yeah. Any other myths that need busting? This one goes out to childhood self. There's actually very little evidence, or if any, that you will get deadly cramps if you swim after eating. Huh. That being said, like, it's not like a bad idea to wait. If anything, you might just like feel kind of bloaty, but there is no evidence of cramping leading to death and drowning. But also having your children sit quietly after they've been running around at the beach has its own value, I, I am sure, from the parental standpoint. Sure. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Now I'm questioning everything right now. Yeah. How, because... how much of the things we were told as a children was just to keep you quiet and, like, safe? Right? Quiet and mm -hmm. occupied. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, the brainwashing. So when you think about trying to survive in the wilderness, what are the most important things that a person needs to know or be aware of? The number one thing is be prepared. You know, Scar and the Lion King. <laughs> or that. You know, Scar, the Girl Scout. <laughs> yes. Don't mix I'm, I'm sure they'd love the comparison. Okay. <laughs> T terrible combination. All <laughs> you can't have them both. No. Always, always, always bring more water, food, and layers than you think you're going to need. I have been on more than one boneheaded expedition. We're like, oh, it's just a three mile hike. I'm sure we'll be fine without a bottle of water. No, That's, no, it's never, never a leave good idea. the water behind. You're gonna need that. Yep. Yep, I like, did that once. And Not even in the wilderness. It's just trying to walk to the train to go downtown. <laughs> it's the kind of mistake you only need to make once, but your your body can only go so long without water. But if you do ever find yourself like truly like lost in a in the wilderness, like you're out somewhere in the country and you don't know when you're gonna get like out, your order of needs is shelter and then water and then food. You can go a week, two weeks, sometimes three weeks without solid food. As long as you don't go more than three days without water. But what will get you even faster, though, is exposure. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in a relatively mild climate, especially if you get wet, that can really lower your body temperature, and that can be the bad time. So if you're going out, bring your layers, bring a change of clothes. I always pack heavy. I know that's not a popular thing in the hiking <laughs> community, but I'd rather have an extra five pounds on my back than ever be in a situation where I was like, oh man, if only I had, which also tells you what kind of packer I am for vacation. It's, <laughs> it's a heavy bag going with me on the airplane. So are you a person who follows the rule of cotton kills or not? I actually, I love my natural fibers. Sure. 
there is a time and a place for your wicking fabrics. <laughs> but I, I find as long as you're well layered enough, you'll be just fine. It, it's also, if you're going to be sweating to the bone, that might be a different story. But if you're out on a nice hike, you'll be just fine. Interesting. So now I'm thinking about Jesus in the wilderness, which is, of course, why we're doing a wilderness survival deep dive because that was the desert wilderness and so that's an even more extreme like as much as even in temperate climates the temperature at least can change a significant amount from daytime sun to nighttime cloudless skies the desert does it even more extremely right it's where the the hot is hotter and the night Mm -hmm. is colder and yeah. yeah, so the shelter aspect, I never thought of that as being the first thing to figure out. Yeah, there's a reason why so many desert animals are like strictly either diurnal or nocturnal. And generally, mm. the, the larger they are, the more likely they are to be nocturnal. I like to think of like kangaroos living in the Australian outback, which parts of it are true desert, parts of it are not. They are almost mm-hmm. totally nocturnal because during the hottest part of the day, they want to be lying under a bush or a tree they'll, they'll even like dig down to get to a, a cooler layer of soil underneath them in desperate situations they will even they do this thing where they, they lick their like forearms because they can't sweat or perspire as we do they need Ooh. to pant so they, they lick their arms and then hold them out and that kind of like helps cool them down oh, sure. huh. but yeah staying out of the hottest hot or the coldest cold number one priority to be sure because no matter what kind of situation you're in you want to keep you know your basic body conditions where they're comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. What else when you're lost in the wilderness or trying to survive it? You know, this this one kind of goes along with things that we were told as children that are but this time they're actually good advice. If you get lost, <laughs> generally speaking, stay where you are. If you're in a place mm-hmm. that you're you're lost but you are safe, you want to signal as long as you know that help is coming or if you have a relative assumption that it is coming, you want to have your your mirror, you know, maybe a little bit of a whistle. If you think that there are folks nearby-ish that might not be able to hear you, it also can only yell for so many you know, times before sure. you get, get sure. a horse. You can blow a whistle for a very long time. And mm-hmm. I can also say enough, if you're in a, a humid enough area, you know, a small fire for make smoke can be a good idea. If you're out mm-hmm. west, this is the ultimate bad idea because the only <laughs> thing be- worse than being lost in the wilderness is being lost in a wilderness that is also on fire. <laughs> yep. Yep. Murder bad. <laughs> Yes. Catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. That's. I was like, where are you going? Why does it have to be humid? Like, does that make the smoke rise better? No, it's fire safety. Okay, yeah. yep. got it, yep. got it. Don't piss off Smokey the Bear. Yep, yep. he's a big guy. And, and technically, actually, the wetter the, the substance, the more it'll give off smoke. smoke. It's mm-hmm. a harder fire to make, but it is, you know, a little bit smokier, you know. But there, there's a reason that, you know, smoke signals were used on the Great Plains. It's a great way to transmit information over long distances. Yeah. And they people respond to to fire and smoke. Yeah, it's true. In the Midwest, there's a lot of fires, I think in the either in the fall or the spring, there's a lot of like burning fields or that sort mm-hmm. of a thing. And there have been times where I've been driving through and I'm like, okay, that one definitely looks like controlled burn of particular <laughs> thing. And there are other times where I'm like, I'm just going to call it in just to be safe because yeah, that seems dangerous and I don't see a single person paying attention to it yep smoke effective but dangerous signaling device (laughs) only try if you're a professional truth um yeah i think the other place like and this connects to the next thing i was going to say but i grew up in the mountains as our nerds know and one of the things that i've realized in all of the places that i've lived is that prepared me for rock slides and avalanches and nothing else. Tornadoes, hurricanes, mm-hmm. earthquakes, none of that. I am not prepared for any of that. But in like sixth grade, I think we took a trip, our like end of the year trip that we took in the middle of the year to this like snow wilderness science center that was cool. nearby. And we did like, we learned a lot about surviving in the wilderness and like in an avalanche. And like, if you're getting caught in an avalanche, how to like, protect airspace and then how to figure out which way is up by spitting and seeing which way it goes <laughs> which smart also smart. sounds disgusting if you're like facing up but so i'm curious if there are particular aspects of the wilderness and surviving in different types of wilderness that like carry over from one type to the other like 
snowy mountains to deserts to the ocean, or if there are particular things about different places like the ocean versus mountains or desert that you're like, this is the thing to remember in this context. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, there's definitely some transferring of skills there because mm-hmm. no matter what kind of condition, like your conditions are, your needs are going to be pretty much the same. You want to keep your body temperature at, you know, more or less 98.5. You want to put mm-hmm. water, hopefully clean water into your body and have a stable source of food. Though the, the ways you're going to have to adjust to that are going to be wildly different. You know, in, in the desert, especially during the hot part of the day, you're going to be so focused on getting shade and getting cool. Whereas in the winter, in the snowy mountains, you're just trying to stay warm. So it's it's a you know, different scenario bring up different challenges for sure. But your basic needs are the same. You know, your, your human body is still your human body. And mm-hmm. it's just you're just doing your best to keep it the right level of warm, but not too warm. The right level of, you know, fed, but not too fed. And keeping you know, everything in balance as best you can. So different gear, different strategies, but kind of the same end goal, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Is there an animal that you would most like to encounter in the wilderness, Sander? <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to encounter like a mountain lion or another like big cat. <laughs> I love a danger kitty. <laughs> the thing is that when you, you're out and you encounter a mountain lion, you probably don't see it coming because they are one of the right. most deadly predators who live in the United States. They are yeah. absolutely silent hunters that can jump about 20 feet in a single leap. So generally speaking, if they're hunting you, the only time you're aware of them is when it is far too late to do anything. So As you die, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love to see it from a, a respectful distance. I, <laughs> I've had the opportunity to see a mountain lion like very close up at a zoo, and it's just such a remarkable experience. Same with tigers and jaguars. They're just such like, truly like remarkable animals. And I've seen some, yeah. I've seen some pretty good ones in my time. You know, like I've gotten in my time in South Dakota, like fairly close to bison. I never approached them, wasn't taking a selfie, but they will just walk <laughs> right up past you. And there's, you just, you stay still, you don't get knocked over and you hope for the best. And yeah. we used to do these elk bugling programs. When I was in South Dakota, I was a park ranger. So we did like, you know, campfire talks and you mm-hmm. went out onto the prairie and we're like listening to the elk bugle. And this one night, like it was, it was getting fairly dark. We're out there because there's no street lights because you're in the middle of a national park in the middle of rural South Dakota, mm-hmm. and you can hear these two bull elks start to like sound off. And an elk bellows mm-hmm. one of the most eerie sounds you'll yeah. ever hear. So mm-hmm. it's a high pitched like keening sound, but you could hear them, and they're like their group of 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 does or cows, like gathering together closer into this clearing it was like sharks and jets like squaring off and i was just like standing outside with this family like in front of their like minivans like and now we're all getting back in our cars because (laughs) these elk are about to lock up and i do not want to be responsible for what happens after that the ymca of the rockies is where i've been there for a few different things in the fall and that's like prime elk territory because you can't hunt there like you can hunt in mm. a lot of other places. And so I've seen like just massive numbers of elk that like gather in that area because it's the safe area during hunting season. And the noises that they make are fascinating. It's truly great. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you haven't heard before, get on YouTube, look it up. Elk bugling. You'll, you'll never hear anything else <laughs> like it. Okay. I have to ask because I know where you work. If you were caught, if you were like out in the wilderness of water what animal like i thought this question was gonna lead to a like what animal would you want to encounter that like might be helpful which i think i'm just like all i have in my head right now is octopus but and then you went (laughs) with mountain lion and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) if i'm gonna have an experience i want to have an experience right Right. You sound like Katza and Graceling. Okay. Yep. Okay. I mean, if I was going to, if I was out in an aquatic environment, I, and I'm also, I'm going to the same place. I want, I would love to see a great white shark. <laughs> they, by the way, this is, I, I should have said it in the myth section. They do not want to eat you. You're going to be just fine. You are too crunchy for the sharks. You do not have the right <laughs> level of oils in your body. You are more likely to get hit on the head by a coconut be struck by lightning or be bit by a New Yorker while you're visiting on the subway <laughs> than you are already bitten by a shark. 
<laughs> New Yorkers are more dangerous than sharks. I am Leaps almost certain that we have New Yorkers who listen to this podcast. So now I'm <laughs> curious about their experiences in the wilderness that is New York. Yes. As well. <laughs> and for that matter, have they met any sharks and do they have opinions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in the Graceling Realm books and the latest one, they actually like the ship goes down in the north. And so they're like shipwrecked and having to survive and trying to figure out how to like do wilderness survival in the winter. But part of it is also like the animals that are in this like totally magical realm and stuff. They do have a mountain lion that does attack somebody at one point. But yeah, so I'm like, well, what about a dolphin? Like, what if you what if you found a dolphin or Wakanda forever? Like, what if you mm. what if the whales like helped you? Yeah. <laughs> and if you could hitch a ride on a, you know, a whale, that would be right? incredible. Dolphins divisive in, in, in my field of study because they get a lot of glory. They're very fancy and they have like a 50 50 like reputation. If you're like shipwrecked and you see a dolphin, there's like half a chance that it's going to like, hey, get on my back. We're going home. Like, I got you. But then there's also, like, the, let's play. And, like, there's so many stories of, like, dolphins, like, like just like, oh, you're you're in my exhibit. You are breathing, and you have all these bubbles coming out. And just, like, taking the, like, rebreather mouthpiece out of divers' mouths. So, like, what is this? I oh, would no. like to see it. And the only, I, I, don't, I don't have hands, so the only thing I have to touch is my mouth. So I'm just going to grab that from you. Oh, dear. <laughs> They're, they're curious, curious creatures. That. Yes. That is brilliant. I had never heard a story like that about dolphins. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And octopus get their bad reputation. Yeah. Also, if anyone is interested in a book that involves magic and has both whales and a great white shark in starring roles, Deep Wizardry is the second book of Diane mm. Duane's So You Want to Be a Wizard series, which is a lovely and non-transphobic series about magic and children learning to be wizards. And the Gotta second love book when the involves not wizards who are whales <laughs> and also a magical great white shark. I that sounds awesome. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I love that series I'm... so much. I'm on the last book of this series so far, so I might have to... This one has like nine, ten books, something like that. I don't, I'm not sure which book she's on mm. right now. So. Nice. nice. Which is a great segue. Look at us transitioning. <laughs> oh, it's a miracle. It's a The only way Emily ever will. Beginning of February miracle. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of books and shows and movies and all sorts of things about the wilderness and about wilderness survival. Do you have any favorites? Fiction, nonfiction, whatever. I, I do. Now, forgive me. My favorite wilderness survival show, and I have watched a ton of them growing up, Naked and Afraid. I <laughs> love Naked and Afraid. If folks haven't seen it, it's like two survival like you know, experts, and they get like, three items they can bring with them you know like a pan a little piece of steel wool a battery or whatever they want and then they're out there and they are as advertised completely naked mm -hmm. and don't worry this is on you know discovery so this you don't see all of that <laughs> but it is a true a true like test of like your survivability because you don't have anything besides like again the three objects you bring with you which i think you know the stakes are high the novelty <laughs> also high the failure rate also again very high <laughs> and I, I love that for a survival show because like i grew up watching like man versus wild with bear grills and like survivor yeah. man and the shows are great they're very entertaining but they i'm glad they survive but they always make it out and make it look kind of easy you know bear grills yep. will always drink some urine just to show that he can you know that's part of his his shtick but Naked and Afraid, a lot of times they have to tap out, you know, because they mm -hmm. they run into a problem. They, you know, I, and sometimes it's like pretty like grody, like they'll get like a parasite on their foot or they'll drink water they shouldn't Ooh. have and like be sick and they'll have to get airlifted out. But it is like an actual survival show in a way that I feel like a lot of them are like, you know, a little more novelty as and also just yep. the fact that these random strangers are meeting each other naked in a field and have like <laughs> 30 days to like survive. It, it leads yeah. to good hijinks along the way. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I've never seen it, but it has always struck me from the commercials as sort of a very weird take on the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Naked and afraid. 
superstition. <laughs> I was going to say, I did not realize until you just at the end said it that they didn't know each other and that it's like two strangers put together. I was thinking like it's this pair that does like all these different locations. No, it's two strangers. <laughs> yeah, just two strangers meeting for the first time. And I have not seen it, but I think there is like a reality dating version of the show, oh, no. which oh, I think no. if it actually exists and it wasn't a fever dream I made up, <laughs> might be like the single cringiest piece of entertainment ever crafted. That being said, I am now reinterested in watching it. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think of Survivor and the like, those are a whole different kind of shenanigans mm. and Survivor. And like you mentioned, right? Get at the beginning, get into the civilization scariness mm-hmm. of being in community and with other people. But yeah. yeah, yeah. The true challenge is not the environment; it is getting along with twelve people on an island. Exactly. <laughs> That's which you know is its own survival. Yes. Just like how the biggest miracle Jesus ever did was having twelve close friends in his thirties. Yes. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, exactly. And speaking of Jesus, since we're also talking today about temptations in addition to wilderness, what are some common temptations that people face in the wilderness, Sandra? I think for like your common everyday person going out into like, you know, a, a hike or anything, one of the common temptations is just things will just work out. Like, I don't have to plan this. And, and granted, I'm an overpacker, I'm an overplanner, but things work out because you make them work out. If you're going out, you know, on a on a hike, especially if you're someone you're not familiar with, you really got to put that research in. And it's not just for your sake. If you know, if they, if you get lost and you need to get rescued, that's a lot of not only work but also a lot of you know effort and danger that the rescue team has to go out there and put yeah. forth to get you out of a bad situation. And also the like, oh, it's just a short walk. I don't need to bring this or that. Always bring more water than you need because you'd mm-hmm. rather be carrying it. I promise you, than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in an unfamiliar place, like you're on vacation, you might want to just cut that short. Yeah. Also, don't take shortcuts. If you're in especially any kind of protected area, not just because you'll get lost, which you might. There's a reason we have paths in our national parks and national forests. I mean, obviously check in with your local guides, with the local regulations. Sometimes you can do this. Sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the trails are there to protect delicate species and ecosystems that really are impacted by us stepping on them, for lack of a mm-hmm. better word. So stick to the path unless you're on if you're in a place that has backcountry travel go for it have a lot of fun but if you're in a place that requires you to stay on trail please stay on trail there's a reason those rules are in place yeah Yeah. we i grew up with leave no trace and when that is impossible make your trace the exact same as everybody else so absolutely also the temptation that i have noticed additionally to those is it's only a few more minutes or just a little bit further Mm-hmm. Particularly with like mountain climbing, I were, when I worked at camp, one of the hikes was a mountain climbing hike, and 2 p.m. was always the turnaround time because that's when storms would hit if they were hit. And sometimes they got turned around, like they had to come back before the 2 p.m. turnaround time. But it was like, oh, but it's just a, and you get stuck in storms and you get caught yeah. in them. And I skied up a mountain once. And I went too far, and so it took too long to get down, and it was very scary. And that's, yeah, that's a whole other story, much longer, that almost resulted in rescuing, but yep. did, not, <laughs> did not, by the grace of God slash the luck of light on a mountain and a dad who used to live on, to, on the mountain to know the roads up. But yeah, that was like, it's, it's just a little bit further if we just go all the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. It's so tempting. It's always right there. Like yeah, a little bit farther. I, the view would be a little bit better. I was a senior in high school. It was very tempting. Yes. <laughs> I went for that temptation. Dove right in. Yeah. So in your bio, you mentioned that you enjoy tabletop role-playing games. So I'm curious if you have a favorite like survival, wilderness, wildlife adventure during an RPG kind of thing. Whether you're uh, like the DM or a player or just watching or whatever. Yeah, I, I have two ones that I'll, I'll throw out real quick. One, I, I have this long-running game with some of my friends at home. We just called it Tundra Game because our friend Peter was just making it up as he went along and writing out all the stuff. But it was all out on, like, this very foreboding tundra, and you had to keep track of, you know, your food and water. And there was a, a, it was my first time doing, like, a survival 
heavy, but probably my favorite one so far. I love the Out of the Abyss module for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm actually in a campaign that we record as a podcast called The Madness Table right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, we cut out a lot of the fluff of like, how much water are we carrying for the podcast? Yeah. But essentially, you're in this massive subterranean system miles beneath the surface and you have no idea how to get out and i love not only the aspect of you know finding your way out and you know finding ways to survive and thrive but also you have these wonderful experiences exploring a place that like well in real ways doesn't really exist on planet earth you know Mm -hmm. a lot of times in fantasy gaming it's very much like oh this is fantasy western europe or fantasy mm-hmm. the Middle East, or if mm-hmm. you're very lucky and think else is locked, you know, a fantasy pre-colonization or non-colonial in North America. But this is a cave system that is impossible to exist in our real world. And so there's so many super fun things and great creativity that can come both from the writers and also from, you know, the, the dungeon masters, the folks running the games. There's mm-hmm. so much cool stuff you can put into a world that we have a little bit of here and there in our real world, but really fleshing that out in, you know, wonderful ways that involve, you know, talking mushroom people and <laughs> you know mind reading floating jellyfish and all sorts of things that i might be glad don't actually exist but are really <laughs> fun to interact in around the table with some friends sure. yeah yeah that's fantastic i've never played an rpg where we actually have to keep really close count of our resources in that yeah. way it's just kind of a like well we're gonna default assume that you have these things unless otherwise stated but there was one i was a bard in my first ever one and Mm -hmm. i would communicate with animals through music and so i would actually like hum what i was like playing on my fiddle Mm -hmm. because i you know could play a fiddle but then instead of like telling me like the emotions or the thoughts or anything from like the creature back they would just make noise and like make the creature song, and then I had to interpret it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that's high quality shenanigans. Yeah, I was just going to say my husband is for the moment also my DM, and he is very much not the let's track water and rations and arrows and all that kind of thing because it just is that that's a little too close to his day job. So yes. <laughs> You don't want your games to feel like work. The game yeah. should feel like play. Right. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Our first reading today is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and also chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the continuation of one of the creation stories in Genesis, humanity learns of the difference between good and evil through the deception of the serpent, and sin and shame are introduced to the world. Okay. This passage always makes me think of the telephone game because and this this editing of the passage is even more frustratingly like the telephone game because it doesn't actually let you know that the woman who we call eve did not exist when god told that first human don't eat of the tree so Mm -hmm. there's like a lack of clear and direct communication that happens but it's like god to the first human don't eat the tree The first human somehow communicates that to like Eve, Adam and Eve, however you want to like figure out that it is. And then the serpent doesn't ask Adam. The serpent asks Eve and it's like, Eve, what happens? And then Eve is like, this is what happened because that's what she heard from the human who heard it from God. And then the serpent's like, no, that's not what it is. It's just a long game of telephone. Yeah, that's that's my Every time. So that's how I'll do it. Bad communication is the root of all evil. (laughs) Quite possibly, especially if it's before love of money even exists, because money doesn't exist. Sure. Yeah. When I I hear this passage, I very much want like, and we have very like specific like, oh, like obviously like the serpent is like trying to tempt, but like just reading the text alone, what's the serpent doing? You know, is is he out? Is he here for kicks? <laughs> is does he have a purpose? Did someone tell him to do it, or is mm-hmm. he just curious? And I, I feel like oftentimes, and especially in, you know, in the wilds of civilization, my temptation is I just want to see what's going to happen. <laughs> Chaos, spoken Yay. like a true yeah. RPG player. Yes, <laughs> yeah, shenanigans. Yeah, but it is like the the serpent doesn't lie. To yeah. that's part of it, right? Like serpent's yeah. not lying. Literally, you will not die if you touch the fruit. 
Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman comic series. And mm. I really, and it's it also what spawned the the now Netflix series Lucifer, which okay. is a, you know, very yeah. you know sympathetic you know appropriation of Lucifer. But <laughs> I very much get the that that vibe from Neil Gaiman's portrayal of Lucifer. It's like I'm I'm just here, you know. I'm I'm not I'm I'm like I'm doing like what he's this is my job, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's, it's there's there's no malice there. It's just you know what I'm around to do. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Insert chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So in chapter 2, verse 17, we read, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Again, not literally, but we'll get there. And mm-hmm. I read this verse, and one of my favorite memes that I've recently seen on social media goes something like, The boss says, Your assignment is to describe a tree as simply and briefly as possible, and J.R.R. Tolkien responds, No. because Tolkien described trees and woodlands and all sorts of other things with lengthy and loving detail. And so this is a rare moment when I actually want that trait in our biblical author, because I am totally up for a more detailed and extensive description of this particular tree. Also the tree of life, that would be fine. And this tree as described by Tolkien would be amazing. So, like, you know, that would involve some serious time travel. But I think Tolkien would enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm just saying it's an option. Sure. He'd be up for the challenge, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I love that because then we'd, like, actually know what fruit it was. Yes. Right? Was it really a pomegranate? Who knew? Or a date or a fig, but not an apple. Yeah, definitely not an apple. What fruit can I blame for original sin? Kiwis. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I was going to say, I wouldn't mind blaming a red delicious apple for original sin because they are not delicious. Mm-hmm. So but not a honey crisp. Fitting. There's no but way not a honey crisp. No. Honey crisps uh, are A honey crisp can do no wrong. Evil. That's exactly. <laughs> and the Granny Smiths are really just there to make pies with. So That's true. And who doesn't love a pie? Yeah. You know? Right? But we have a bunch of pies in our house right now. It's delightful. <laughs> it's a great way to be. Yeah. And then in chapter three, verse three, the woman responds to the serpent and says, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. And this is an example of a woman saying not the truth, but if this were Katniss, we would definitely be following every single thing that she said, because when she said you cannot enter and even really touch Nightlock, it's because you could die. And she saved Peta's life. So, you yeah. know, as, if her name's Katniss, then probably listen. Yeah. yeah. Katniss for a casting of Eve. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would actually be really cool. Hmm. Yeah. We could. Not, that's not, a whole not a Muppet, other. But we'll work on it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other level of like, let's make a Muppets musical of like not just casting Muppets. Or token human actors, but like the character that the actor <laughs> plays as this one. Specifically. Yeah. Now I'm intrigued. We're going to someday let's make a Muppets musical. It's going to get super complicated because also now I'm thinking about like role playing games with Muppets and yeah. it's a whole, a whole thing. And yeah. I don't think we've cast Adam or Eve yet. So I don't think we have because we haven't had that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now I gotta think about it. Our second reading for this episode is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Paul points out that because humanity is capable of understanding the difference between good and evil, explained in the story that we heard in Genesis 3, we are capable of sin and in need of both law and grace. So, one of the themes that comes up a bunch in this reading is actually death, specifically the power of death, which is something that we talk about theologically a lot. And we did, in fact, do a deep dive for our All Saints episode last year on death. But the power of death is like a whole other thing. And I like kept thinking about in Star Wars, right? The power of death, not death itself, but the power of death was strong enough to send Anakin from being a Jedi to being Darth Vader in his attempt to stop the power of death, which therefore caused the death of Padme. So I suppose death is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And this 
reading made me like think of I, I've read the the Stormlight Archive series where like people who have defied death are a, a big plot point in the, some of the later books because there's folks who have been alive for thousands of years and they're totally unmoored because death is a, a natural part of of life and to linger mm-hmm. in the world and not have that as a a oh, part yeah. of your existence you know it it really brings out like this could be a very bad thing for you <laughs> if you were just kept living and your consequences you know, were were null and void it would really you wouldn't be quite the same person you started out you know a thousand years ago as yeah no yeah that's like in tuck everlasting which i read i think in elementary school maybe yes right mm. or the good place spoilers if you have not watched the whole series but like towards the end of the good place that's part of it that comes out is what happens when there is no end mm-hmm. yeah it took our last thing i always think at the end about the frog or was it a toad they got that drop of the whatever the tuck thing is and like because the one girl like, like oh i'm not gonna be part of this which is probably very wise but now somewhere out there in the tuck everlasting world there's a frog hopping around who just <laughs> cannot <Never> die <laughs> I have not thought of that. I haven't read them in forever, but I had not thought about that. And mm-hmm. yeah, that would be an interesting – we're in the realm of spinoffs now in the world where everything yes. gets a spinoff. <laughs> and so having a spinoff of the like frog and the frog could then encounter other frogs. So it could do like yeah. princess and the frog. It could do frog and toad like and just like hop into all of these other stories. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Just go narrative surfing. It's a great time. Yeah. It, it sounds like as Daniel Tiger is the spinoff of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, because Daniel Tiger is the child of a couple mm-hmm. of characters in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that sounds like the, the takeoff on Tuckle Everlasting in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant idea, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Now you just gotta, we'll put you on writing that story. Uh, I'll get I'll get right on it. It's sure. it's probably the public domain soon. We'll see. <laughs> and then in verse twelve a, we read, "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man," and I just like to take these moments where Paul actually says something useful or helpful and point them out because you know so often we wind up yelling at Paul and that feels unfair. And so Paul, who was a very well educated Jewish scholar and a leading theologian of the early church, and who therefore you would hope would know is very clear that sin is actually Adam's fault and not Eve's according to the creation story in the Bible. And so this sort of sounds like Han Solo to me because Han Solo, of course, was actually wrong several of the times that he yelled, it's not my fault in the Star Wars movies. (laughs) It often actually was his fault. And I think Adam needs a little bit of that spirit to him too. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at it and I looked at verse 14 where it says, Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. And, okay, I haven't actually seen the Terminator movies, but in my head, this seems like they're talking about the Terminator because one comes and then another one, and they're each a type of the one to come, a type of this, like, massive killing machine human person thing, but not exact. So now Adam and Moses are both Terminators for me. (laughs) (laughs) But which one has the 1980s hair? (laughs) Which one's T2? Which one's T3? More research is needed. Obviously, obviously, yeah. Like any research, actually. Yeah. <laughs> movies even once. <laughs> yeah. And then our gospel reading for this episode is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus is tempted through food, proof texting tests for God, and worldly power. So one of the themes in this passage is obviously temptation. And as I've already confessed multiple times on this podcast and also already on this episode, I'm in the midst of the Graceling Realm books, and I love them. And the newest one, Sea Sparrow, it just recently came out, but part of it that is even on the inside cover, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling things, is that they get stranded while sailing home. And they're in like the north, and it's cold and wintry and all of those things. And they run low on food, and the main character, Hava, definitely is tempted. And she talks about it because we have like her first person narrative. And so she talks about being tempted when she's the one carrying all the food because they're rotating everything and they're rationing 
So nobody's getting enough food, but she definitely has lots of temptation, which dies down as she continues to care for these baby foxes, which is adorable. But the, the temptation is real when you have access to Absolutely. food that nobody else does. Yeah. I think that's a great point. It was you like the, the healing power of nature and like taking care of other things. You know, there's lots of great research about like even having pets or, you know, mm-hmm. caring for animals can really build social emotional learning in both, yeah. you know, kids and adults. You know, it's, yeah. it's good for us to take care of, you know, other creation. Yeah. Other creatures. Yeah. There are lots of baby foxes in Zohava, like gives them to a couple people at some point and it's the people who are like struggling the most and then all of a sudden they have something that they are responsible for and they take better care of themselves in order to take better care of the baby fox which is nice yeah exactly what you said yeah yeah that happens in real life too absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah when i was thinking about like the the temptation in this book it, it very much reminds me of like that part of like the hero's journey that's represented in like so many parts of of fiction but like you this is the test portion you know everything's led up to this big moment you know whether you're you know luke skywalker going down the trench in the death star like <laughs> this is the moment we've been waiting for yeah. in the in our, in our story it's not quite the end yet it's not really what we're working towards but it is a you know, a, a, you know rising you know action or whatever the literary mm-hmm. term might be sure yeah And then in verse seven, we read, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I feel like in general, Christianity is pretty well agreed and and probably other faiths that like believe in any God is pretty well agreed that testing God is not going to work out well for you. But also the aspect of this that I feel like we never talk about is that there also must be like different levels of tests for God, right? Mm. Like the whole jumping off the temple thing that Jesus is presented with, that would have been like a pop quiz level of testing. Like God has to get one answer exactly right or completely fail in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Whereas say like an emotionally heavy relationship conversation with your partner that you've done absolutely no prep work for, but desperately want to get through in a competent kind of way that one feels like more of a midterm level of testing god i <laughs> you know, praying that the holy spirit will steer you in the right direction for the next hour or so and then you'll be okay and i feel like the vast majority of cishet white guys on sitcoms have probably gone through this and i'm especially thinking of ross from friends like he does like a dozen of those let's be honest oh he's bad at them too <laughs> yeah yep. so bad and whereas i'm sure that there have also probably been people who have tried to copy Jesus and wander the wilderness for 40 days with no apparent prep work. And that one strikes me as more like dissertation level of testing God. (laughs) And that is a terrible idea. Just don't do that. Just no. That's like that one. Didn't you talk about this one guy who was like going to bike all over the country or something? Oh, I was thinking about that guy earlier. So there was an NPR interview that I listened to while I was driving somewhere like five years ago. And I don't remember the guy's name anymore, but he was fascinated by this woman who had spent decades walking across America and talking to people about peace. There was a, a catchphrase that she had that was like, it was her mission for peace. She did this until she was like 80 something years old. And then she died and she carried very few belongings with her and she made this her life's mission and she did a fantastic job and and she got a lot of people interested in it and so this young man who was you know just out of college decided he wanted to do the same thing and he sold all his belongings and he decided to set out and gave away the money that he had made from his belongings and the thing is he decided to set out in massachusetts in i think february actually (laughs) oh no And had not thought that far ahead and also was like wearing exactly the same kind of clothes that she did, which was a long sleeve shirt and jeans and did not have a coat in, it might've been March. I think it was like late February, early March. Either way. And like the vast incompetency displayed and like intentional ignorance, willful ignorance, just, I don't think I actually screamed at my car radio, but it was a close run thing. <laughs> and so he he did this for three days. Some poor college student who he met in a McDonald's gave him his sweatshirt in a desperate attempt to try to make sure this guy didn't freeze to death. I'm sure he probably never found the college student to give the sweatshirt back. And then after three days, he called his mom from a payphone and said, okay, I'm sorry, please come get me. 
and gave up. And then like three months later is doing this NPR interview and it's weaponized incompetence to a level that I can't even begin to comprehend. And yet, (laughs) you know, this upper middle-class white guy is exactly the kind of person that would do this and wind up on NPR. I, anyway, I'm still pissed off. And probably has written a book by now about it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think actually, I think he was on NPR to promote the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if I could insert a successful person who has done something like this, uh, there's yes, a wonderful please. environmental speaker named John Francis, and he, after seeing an oil spill off the coast of California, he decided that he was going to make the fundamental like life-changing decision to never get in a car again, mm-hmm. something he did for the next 22 years. So he walked all the way across the country, I think twice, if I remember right. I had the privilege of hearing him speak a while ago. And to compound this, he also took on a 17-year vow of silence. So he is walking all the way across the country. I believe this is in like the 60s or 70s without speaking, but finding somehow some way to spread environmental messaging and friendship along the way. And the story, one of the stories that really stuck out to me, he spent – a winter in South Dakota, which is, you know, a blisteringly oh cold place. And he I've actually ended up like just like hanging out with a family there. They just like took him in and they would have these gatherings where you'd have like these white families and these Native American families like joining together to be around this black man who had walked across the country who none of them could speak to, but had this just reverberance of presence that made mm-hmm. people, you know, want to be around him and like kind of come together, oh. which is, I think, I think really cool. And, He's written a good book about it <laughs> uh, and does a lot of really great environmental like work to this day. Thanks. What's the book called? Do you know? It's Planet Walk or Planet Walker, which is kind of like his, I guess, <laughs> technically his trail name, though perhaps he never uttered it until much, much later. He would go on to be a, a professor while still doing his vow of silence. He's, he's, quite, he's quite the guy. He's quite the guy. Yeah. Is he related to you? Unfortunately, not John Francis. If only, if only I could claim well, him as one of mine. Because if he's the Planet Walker, hey. <laughs> I'm just saying. Not, in our own way, are we not? We all Planet Walkers. <laughs> Unless well, you're getting really deep. deep. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Some people are Planet Rollers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I okay. I thought you were going to when you started talking about testing God. I was like, is this the can you make a microwave burrito that's too hot to? <laughs> Eat. <laughs> so hot that God can't eat it. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, "Is that is that the test of God? And which one is that? That's the trick test. That's one of those <laughs> tests that we got like in middle school, where they're like follow the instructions, and so automatically everybody puts their name in the top right corner like you're supposed to, and then the instructions say, "Do not put your name in the top right corner. Mm-hmm. Put your name mm-hmm. in this other random spot and do this other random thing that's counterintuitive." That's the testing the burrito kind of testing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always failed those tests. I always I always jump down to question three and I've missed all the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I did well the first time I definitely did not. Yeah. See, none of my teachers had poker faces, so every time they handed out something that was tricky like that, they always had this like unusual expression on their face, and so I could tell, okay, something's up. And they had then a I looked at the that said, Pay yeah. attention. Yeah, that's fair. And then in verse 8, we read, Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And I went to the Lion King with this of like, Mufasa and Simba and everything the light touches will be yours. So, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Just look, looking down and all the, the kingdom. Yeah. Except for there. That's the shadow land. <laughs> the elephant graveyard. Yes. <laughs> And now for our wildest segment, let's make a Muppets musical. Woo! (laughs) So, Andrew, have you thought of any either token humans or Muppets or whatever that you would like to cast for this episode? I I do have a Muppet for us. And it's actually Mm. like coming from that that verse 8 section, you know, look down upon this. And I, I get like, it's Kermit. And like dark Kermit from the meme, which is like Kermit wearing like a cloak. I feel like that that's the, the, kind the of one temptation. with the mole. The Kermit with the mole. <laughs> I'm not you, I'm different. I very <laughs> much get like that vibe from this passage of like I don't know, 
don't know if you've already cast Jesus in any of your Muppet casting, but I feel like Kermit in this moment is a, is a pretty good Jesus for me. Maybe it's because he's just, you know, main character energy from our green friend. It's true. It's true. Sure. Absolutely. Kermit does give off like main character energy. We've cast Jesus a couple times, I think. For a while yeah. we were not because we didn't want to jump too quickly into casting Kermit. But I do love the like sinister <laughs> of like evil Kermit and Kermit. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, did you have a... Well, I I was jumping back to the, the Adam and Eve text mm-hmm. and I was thinking to myself, you know, okay, so for Lutherans, we have this concept of we try to cast things that other people do in the best possible light. Like, don't ignore the truth, but also, like, there could be a reason you're not aware of. So try not to assume that people are doing things for bad reasons. And mm-hmm. so I, I was thinking about what would be the best possible light for Adam's, you know, giant mess up in this text of not <laughs> communicating properly. And I think Adam has to be a himbo. And like a, a guy who is just not very that. bright, well-meaning, not very good at communicating, very possibly very, you know, like physically adept, whatever. And I was trying to think of a Muppet who would suit that. And mm. I I was having a little trouble coming up with one because like there are several Muppets that aren't very smart, but I wouldn't necessarily cast any of them as himbos. And so I Googled it and lo and behold, it turns out that Dr. Bunsen Honeydew apparently had a an incident where he became himbo Honeydew. And he's in this like wrestling costume and he has these giant muscles and I I don't know how that happened, but the pictures are amazing. So, (laughs) uh, so I am, I am very much struck by that for the moment. Yeah. I was thinking of when you mentioned a himbo, I was like, oh, so like the receptionist in the 2016 Ghostbusters, which is partly because that's our next season for Horror Nerds at Church, but like. Yes, no, absolutely. The the first picture that came into my head was Kevin from the new Ghostbusters movie, as played by Christopher Hemsworth. But also, like, I'm very clear that Adam should probably not be white, let's be honest. So It's true, it's true. Also, not so fun fact, that's not the newest Ghostbusters anymore. They came out with one in 2021. Oh, that's right. Time is passing us by. But yeah, yeah. Okay, but then I also have to ask, like, because we're talking about wilderness survival, if you are trying to survive in the wilderness, who is the one Muppet you want with you? I I would pick Miss Piggy, and the reason I would, I feel like she is such a force of nature herself (laughs) that she would just impose order and will on whatever was happening. Absolutely. She would tell me to go find food and... By golly, I would find some food. I cannot <laughs> let down Miss Piggy. Right. Just because she told you is the only yes. reason why you would do it. Yeah. How about you, Emily? Did you have anyone you wanted to cast? Well, I was thinking about the receptionist in Ghostbusters, for sure. But <laughs> I do think that in the Temptations, I think – I'm curious because I think, like, the Temptation, who, which Muppet would be most tempted by which thing would be interesting, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So, like – Sam Eagle, who all you dear nerds know that I do not have a soft spot in my heart for Sam Eagle. Sam Eagle would be like tempted by having the rule over all of the kingdoms, right? Mm -hmm. Because he is the like embodiment of the United States, which is global empire colonialism. But then I wasn't sure about like who would be most tempted to like test God to see if God would catch them if they fell and Mm. who would be most tempted by the food. Cookie Monster would probably be most tempted by the food. I mean, either him or the Swedish chef. The Swedish chef wouldn't be interested in eating the food. The Swedish chef would be interested in chopping it into tiny pieces with knives. But still. Yeah, but I don't know about this. I think think Statler and Waldorf are a a dark horse (laughs) candidate for me because they just love being right about stuff so much. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay. And then, Kay, if you were trying to survive the wilderness... Well, I'll be honest with you. The first thought that I had when it came to surviving in the wilderness with, because of our earlier conversation was that actually there are a couple of different people who have put together stats for working Muppet characters as a race in D&D. That's true. And yes. I, I'm actually like 
I'm less interested in having a specific Muppet with me while I try to survive in the wilderness as I am tempted to play a Muppet in D&D because some of these methods are pretty fantastic. <laughs> you can Google that and there's, I think, two fairly well fleshed out ways of playing a Muppet character in D&D and I don't know that I'm going to be able to talk my DM into it, but I would really love to. I have threatened to play an artificer alchemist whose main method of alchemy is cooking and then also, <laughs> you know, have these... Yes. whether or not i'm playing a muppet race character and so we'll see how that goes but that's fantastic i, I wish you luck in this endeavor <laughs> right i yeah i was like oh i want to be oscar the grouch but that's just hard because then like how do you actually move around because you literally stay in a trash can all the time it's a mystery yeah i mean he does you just don't see it it's true Probably not as great for like wilderness travel D and D. I was and just I thinking got... it, it was kind of like the angels in Doctor Who, and they only move mm. when you're not looking at them. Mm. And I could see that being a very interesting mechanic for D and D. And now I need <laughs> an image that is a weeping angel Muppet Oscar the Grouch <laughs> in the trash can. <laughs> in the trash can, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. If anybody wants to make that, please do. Because now yes. I'm really getting intrigued do by it. Do not stay thy pen. Right. And now Andrew understands why we do this segment. Yes. <laughs> if it wasn't because already Stuff clear. like this happens almost every episode. Yes. I, important, I, important conversations to have. I basically never prepare, let's make a Muppets musical. Oh, no. Because no it's just way better to come up with it afterwards. But... Yeah, I if I were doing a D and D character, I would probably do Cookie Monster, <laughs> and I'm just looking for cookies. The, the hijinks, the hijinks would be amazing. Yes. Yes. It would Absolutely. be great. It would be great. But yeah, I think yeah, I think that Nor Aziz and Nor would potentially be really good in the wilderness because I imagine they have had to live through some wilderness stuff. But I would not sure. want to subject them to that. No, if it were like actual wilderness, not just like D and D wilderness. Maybe instead of them being in the wilderness, they could be your, like, call a friend lifeline phone call. Ooh, yeah. You could call them from the wilderness. Yeah. And that way they could help that would without be actually yeah. being in danger themselves. Yeah, I like that. So, Andrew, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Yes. Go outside. If, <laughs> if you want to. If it's nice out. And don't let anyone tell you that you're doing it wrong. There's too much gatekeeping around just enjoying outdoor activity. If you want to be on your phone, be on your phone. As long as you're not bothering somebody else, enjoy the outside in whatever way is best for you. It's also so many like great benefits to being outside for your mental health, for your physical health, for your skin. Do mm -hmm. wear sunscreen if you're going to be out there for a while. But yes. overall, being more sure. in touch with nature is just good for, I believe, your full human being. So I encourage you to go out and find it. You don't have to travel around the world. You don't have to go you know, to the ends of the earth. You know, a little patch of grass somewhere near your hometown will do just fine. There's a lot of unexpected, wonderful places, but you'll only know if you go out there and explore them for yourself. Truth. Great. Truth. That is a wonderful other thought. And thank you for joining us, Andrew. This is yes, fantastic. Of course. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And thank you, dear nerds, for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the second Sunday in Lent. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's cheaper than selling all of your possessions and trying to survive in the wilderness? <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah. 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 Especially if you fail. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's less likely to make you famous for writing a book and failing up. But yeah. those requirements are basically <laughs> that you're like a cishet white guy. So <laughs> oh, yeah. you either are or aren't going to do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets musical for this episode. Or even who you want to survive the wilderness with you. Which Muppet would you choose? Yes. As the ancient Christian said. Pax, Pax Bobiscum. Bobiscum. <laughs>